2: Normally, being a little extra might
1: be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: I'm a feminist, but today I filmed some video publicity for my book, and the videographer had put the camera at a low angle. And I said, would you take a selfie from that angle? And she said, no. And I said, well, don't video me that way then. (laughs) And she did. It was like the stick had an erection. And it came up. And uh, yeah, I got my angle. I mean, I don't want, yeah, no need for There's no need for that. There's no need
3: for that. I'm a feminist. But every time my daughter trounces her elder brother in some way my happiness is curtailed by my love for my firstborn Mm. I'm a
0: feminist but I took my niece to Disneyland this weekend and I was disappointed we didn't see one single Disney princess no we didn't we saw Mickey we saw Minnie we saw Frontier Mickey Frontier Minnie we didn't see any princesses Where where were they? I think you have to queue up to see them and fuck that
3: yeah, I hear that. I hear that. I'm a feminist, but I refuse to tell Emily and Karen, our guests this evening, when we were in the green room, what perfume I'm wearing, because, bitch, get your own amazing perfume.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. And, have, and get a good perfume, because that's how people know you're still in the room after you've left. Exactly. I'm a feminist, but my friend told me that her son was into traditionally girly things and her daughter was into traditionally boysy things, and she found that disappointing. And I said, I feel you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if she's a sort of femme gender expression woman who was hoping to go shopping with her daughter, she's not imposing that on her daughter, but I can see why she's like, that's a bit of a bummer. Uh,
3: Listen, how old are her kids? A tiny. Okay, well let me just tell you, I have a daughter and when she was little, she was super girly. Pink, pink, pink. She's now a teenager. She dresses like a hobo. (laughs) (laughs) So frankly, there is no guarantee that her kid won't turn into some kind of girly thing. You know what I mean? It's not
0: about it's about sort of shared interests. It's not about trying to impose gender on your little She's not imposing gender. She's like, that's super cool what she's doing. But sometimes I'm like, uh, I wish she wanted to do shopping things because, you know, I've only got one daughter and she's not
3: having any more. I feel we've gone down a road. I'm going to just stop talking.
2: <laughs> okay, you got so, one
3: more? Yeah. I'm a feminist, but when I see my son be mindful of my opinions and those of his sister's, my joy is always short-circuited by the thought that he'll do the same for some girl who will be mean to him and maybe even dump him and break his heart and I immediately want to teach him to be a selective asshole. <laughs> sorry, sorry of...
0: Do not applaud that. <clears throat> Live from King's Place in London, the Scandinavian Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest co-host Cindy V, and various special guests, Emily Lord saney Sharon Clark, and Karen Cogan, talking about being part of two worlds. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Today we're talking about being part of two worlds. I'm Deborah Francis-White, and with me is Cindy V. I do do you feel you're part of two worlds which sometimes disrupts your kind of worldview or something you know you're sort of walking around you know trying to be a feminist and the best person you can be the best human you can be and do you have these sorts of conflicting worlds that demand different things from you or ex- have different expectations of what good looks like
3: oh my god yes i mean i'm born and raised in india i'm married to a scandinavian and my i live here so for example i wear shorts here in warm weather and when I go to India, the first time I took my shorts to India and my, I put them on, my mother looked at me and said, Have you gone crazy? <laughs> uh, and, I, and I said, What do you mean? She said, What are you wearing when underwears? And I said, No, it's shorts. She said, You can't go out in this. It's shameless. <laughs> so I said, OK. So I stopped wearing shorts because I'm not taking on the whole Indian patriarchy. And, you know, I mean, plus it's warm and I was anyway had no energy. So I just left it alone. But then my mother and father, when they would come here and I would wear shorts, mommy would say, ah, going out in underwear. And I was like, well, I can do it here. And then I married a Scandinavian. We went to the beach and there were naked people ah. on the beach. And I was like, you see what I could do? She said, no, no, wear the shorts, wear the shorts. <laughs>
0: you know? Do you know, funnily enough, I feel culturally torn as well. When I was growing up, I always wanted to live in England. From the time I could read books, I wanted to live in England. And it turned out, when I found my biological family, I found out my birth mother was also born and raised in Australia, and she'd moved to New Zealand, so my sisters were there. But then when I started to do some probing, I met my grandfather, who was amazing, Grandfather Charles, and he told me that his parents had come from London, and they'd come from London because they had four children, I think, and one of them had asthma. And in those days, there was no Ventolin. The cure was to go to a hot country. So they all had to get on a boat and go to Australia because one of them needed Ventolin. And there wasn't any. There was just hot weather. Um, I mean, we owe science so much. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, really? Just now, you're just a little puffer and you don't have to migrate or anything. LAUGHTER Yes, he told me that they were actually from Two Worlds, his parents, because his father was quite posh from, like, had a big house in Cornwall and was a naval officer, and his mother was in Vaudeville. She was like a shogul, and I'd been desperately searching for anyone who was a comedian. Turned out she was proper music hall. She had a double act with her sister, and when they went separate ways, great-grandmother Hetty became a ballet dancer and was very respectable and went and danced in Russia. Great-aunt Lucy became a comedian and uh, yeah she's on the census every four years you can see her she's always in digs with other comedians and other show people other kind of music hall acts and whatever year it is on the census she says she's 23 (laughs) she was first time she said it i mean that's what's brilliant. she's with other people she's just like 23 thanks um and then they moved to australia because one child had asthma and they went to north queensland where there is where they went there's still nothing now uh, my grandfather said i have no idea why they went there and i wish i'd asked but he said children didn't ask questions
3: in those days and you know i wish it was the same now i've um, <laughs> got three kids
0: um, he said she, he was a naval officer she was a showgirl they opened a dairy farm it failed spectacularly and they lost all their money um, and uh, because you know it sounds like a movie it sounds like a 1940s film doesn't it and so I always always wanted to live here and I always had this kind of pull but when I got here I seemed Australian to people so they would explain things to me that I felt I knew because I felt I was from London inside I didn't know this story because I didn't know my biological family but I knew I was meant to live here I, I had a very strong pull well we call it karma Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, Well, I'll tell you what. Oh, okay. Their <laughs> eldest daughter, <laughs> their <laughs> eldest daughter, Eulalia, throughout the whole time I was doing this show about my biological family, I was obsessed that I had a sister living in Shoreditch. And I didn't, I hadn't found anyone yet. I'd started out on this sort of track. And I was doing the show, I've got video of myself doing the show, saying, I, I'm pretty sure I've got a sister living in Shoreditch. Turned out, Eulalia, who was 10 when they went to Australia, had lived in Shoreditch... And when she went to Australia, she missed London so much and she was out in the bush and one day she decided there was a train track going past her house. There was a train probably once a week and she decided that train track must be going somewhere like London. And maybe she could walk back to London. So she got her doll and she walked for an hour in the bush past a train track. And eventually she realized she was going to die, which you actually could in the bush. People do die in the bush. So she turned around and came back. And she said, when she came back, no one had missed her. Aww. And she tried to walk back to London And I, Aww. all my life. And I, she moved to the same place that I grew up in. So she was my neighbor. And she had tried to move back to London. She tried to walk back as a 10-year-old. She'd missed Shoreditch so much. And I had this obsession. We were living together on the Gold Coast, didn't know each other. I had this obsession that I would get to London. And I feel like I walked back here for you Isn't that
3: great? Oh, is that lovely? I mean, that's a very happy ending to what sort of became a bit scary, like a ghost story. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure, sure. And, sure. and I'll be very honest with you. My kids and my husband are traveling and I have to go home alone. And I have to stay alone at night. I don't know how many of you are scared of that. I'm petrified of that. I have all the lights on. I mm-hmm. talk to the dog a lot. And then this story, I was like, I know what you were talking, but all I could say, think was, I have to sleep alone tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now this Eulalia on the train, the bush and the no, train. I no, no, she didn't scared. die. She
0: died as an old lady before I met her, but sadly. But she died as an old lady. And I, but I feel I walked back for Eulalia. And, she and never, you did? Yeah, I feel I did. She, I don't think she ever knew about me but she did in but her heart. But she did. Yeah. But when I first got here thinking I was English in my head as I did and people kept explaining things to me they'd kind of say um, so uh, the 5th of November is Guy Fawkes and uh, there's fireworks because And I'd be like yeah I know we have that in Australia it's a Commonwealth country Um, and then they'd say, um, so the Bronte sisters, have you ever heard of the Bronte sisters? I'm like, yeah, I've got all their albums. Yeah. (laughs) And then they'd say, you know, it'd be like, you know, so Easter is when our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, we have him! (laughs) It's true, it's so annoying when you first come and they like, keep telling you stuff. Like, they try and explain the queen to you. I'm like, it's a Commonwealth country, we have her on our coins! <laughs> and I remember someone saying, oh, well, Danielle Minogue's wedding, it was in the press, was like our, the Australian version of the royal wedding. I'm like, the Australian version of the royal wedding is the royal fucking, fucking wedding. wedding! We have the royal wedding, yeah. what are you talking about? Anyway. Yeah. Welcome to the stage, the wonderful Sin TV.
3: Hey guys. Hi. Um, I wasn't raised with the explicit idea that you should be a feminist, or that you are a feminist, you know, but I was raised very liberally by Indian standards at one level, because my father is a South Indian... They used to, a thousand years ago, be matriarchal. So they have a little bit of that. You know, for example, when women in South India get married, they don't have to cover their head. This is a big deal. (laughs) All right. And my mother's from North India. So when I got married, and didn't cover my head. All her sisters were like, look at that shameless girl. (laughs) So it was very much two worlds. And I was raised by a father who I always knew that my father had let me you know, had given my sister and I a lot of space. But just a couple of months ago, I discovered some photographs, and I'm about 11, 12 years old. My father used to work in the government at the time. I remembered he used to tour India to give out loans and agricultural work, and he used to take me. So there's all these photographs, like 400 Indian men listening to my dad. Then next to my dad is a small, dark girl, wearing, and please pay attention to this, A head scarf, some kind of English scarf with checks, like a (laughs) tablecloth, okay? And a turtleneck, it is summer in India. We're talking 50 degrees centigrade. (laughs) A turtleneck, on top of which is a long tunic with Mickey Mouse in the back. (laughs) Pants that come to here, because by Indian standards, I'm extremely tall. So pants that come to here, socks and sandals. I don't care how feminist you want your daughter to be, don't let her outdress like that.
4: <laughs>
3: so photograph after photograph, I'm standing next to my dad looking like a clown. But I am, thank you, see, there you go. That's genuinely the correct response. But, but here's the thing, I'm standing next to him, listening to him speak to 400 men who are looking at me with the reverence for my father, but I'm there like... <laughs> because I think it's for me and my ridiculous outfit. But I tell you what it did. It gave me a lot of confidence to be in a room full of men and feel like I can be heard. I genuinely think that as a young girl, I didn't have a fear because my father took me on these trips. My father, however, I got a lot of mixed messages about being a feminist, is what I'm trying to say, because my father... Last year, he was visiting us, and I went to a gig. And as I was leaving, it was a late gig, so I didn't leave the house till 9.30. My husband was traveling, and my father said to me, you are going out? It's very late. And I said, yes. And he said, are you going to a reputable establishment? (laughs) And I I was like, it's a pub. And he said, but your husband is traveling. And I was like, yeah, he's not going to the pub. So... (laughs) He can be wherever in the world. And he said, does your husband know the location and the locale? And I was like, dude, where is this going? And he said, I don't think it's correct for you to go to a place that's disreputable when your husband's not in the country. So I said to him, well, it actually makes more sense if I was going to do something awful to do it when my husband's not in the country. It bothers my father. You know, and that's the thing is I don't think he made me... He never spoke over me, he never told me I couldn't do what I wanted, but at the same time he has this idea that I have a responsibility to letting my husband know where I'm going late at night. I mean, I don't do it, but it's a very interesting mixed message. However, the most stupendous mixed messages about being a feminist came from my mother. (laughs) Because my mother, you know, I grew up and she used to complain to my dad, she used to say, look at this, you are raising her like a boy. As it is, no one wants to marry her. I was seven. As it is, no one wants to marry her. See, look at those legs. It's like a... She used to say, it's like a giraffe. Which, by the way, even at seven, I wanted to say, ha, 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 you can't even say giraffe. But you would never say that to my mother. You know, if I had ever said that to my mother, I would not be standing here today. And she would have had another child and raised it to be less insolent. Anyway... So, that was the one message, was, you know, you're raising her like a boy, you're raising her like a boy. Yet, my whole life, whenever I was scared of something, or I felt I couldn't do something, my mother used to say, which means, hold your chest out and walk, because you own the world. Yeah, she said that to me for everything. And she made it clear to me that if I didn't get married by the age of 24, (laughs) not only was I a failure, but I was definitely going to be the reason for her early death. (laughs) So, a lot of very mixed messages. And uh, what I realized is that my mother, she comes from a very feudal, very patriarchal background, very feudal, very patriarchal, several of her sisters killed themselves because they couldn't put up with what was going on. And it was a very wealthy home, but it was a very feudal home and she used to, she said to me, we felt frightened for our lives. And I think knowing that I was able to forgive my mother anything in terms of how she raised us because she did also want us to be, or to do the things that she couldn't do. But I figured out that my mother never thought I could be whatever I wanted to be without a husband because a husband to her was a utility, right? She genuinely thinks that men are inferior, but what to do, you need them. That is her attitude to men. And I once said to my mother, I said, well, you know, I don't need to get married. She said, why? What about children? Because obviously for my mother, your uterus is activated through marriage. So I said, well, you know, I don't have to do that. And she said, Kya, bacha se gi? will you have a child through your eardrum? <laughs> so, but anyway, I got married. And, and, and here's the thing. I married a Scandinavian. And Scandinavia, I know that, you know, the patriarchy exists everywhere. But Scandinavia, especially Denmark, it's a more feminist and more equal place for women than I'm used to growing up in India and definitely than my mother is used to. So she was like, this is the best marriage. Because, first of all, it's marriage, which you have been putting off for a long time. So that's good. But also, she loved the Danes. She couldn't believe all the things. The women did whatever they wanted. I'll tell you one thing. One of my kids, her, the kids' christening in the Danish church was in Denmark. And the priest was a woman. So my mother kept sitting there, and the priest was in the front, and she kept saying, Padri ka bai ga? when will the priest come? And I'm like, that's the priest. She said, but that is a lady. <laughs> And I said, she's the priest. She was so overwhelmed. She got up, walked over before the ceremony, walked over to this lady and said, you are a priest? And the lady was like, yes. And she said, but you are a lady. <laughs> and this woman was kind of like, what is going on? You know. And so she said, yes. And then my mother said, oh, I am so delighted that my daughter has married Danish. And then she hugged her. Aww. And then she said in her ear, because it's my mother, Imagine how Pope is feeling. <laughs> what? Yeah, so uh, I had a lot of mixed messages, but I think uh, my parents did the best job they could, and I'm very proud to say that uh, I feel that they have raised me a feminist. Thank you so much.
0: Guilty Feminist it's me Deborah Frances-White just briefly interrupting your podcast listening to let you know if you're at the Edinburgh Festival this week please go and see Karen Cogan one of our guests today in Drip Feed and Emily Lloyd Saney in her Egg Sketch Duo also two wonderful comedians who've recorded a Guilty Feminist with us that hasn't yet been released yet are Laura Davis in Ghost Machine and Alice Fraser in Ethos I highly recommend Both of their Edinburgh Fringe shows too. And if you go to GuiltyFeminist.com, you can get other recommendations from our guest co-hosts and guests. All the tickets for The Guilty Feminist at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe are sold out. But fear not, we have got the two biggest shows we've ever had for The Guilty Feminist as we unite with Amnesty International UK to bring back to life a brand synonymous with extraordinary British comedy. Now, many of you will remember The Secret Policeman's Ball, which dates back to the 1970s with Monty Python and has come back since then about twice a decade. We are bringing The Secret Policeman back to life in the form of The Secret Policeman's Podcast to raise both awareness and much-needed funds for Amnesty International UK. You can see on the 24th and the 25th of August at the Edinburgh Festival. If there's any way you can get there, if you're not going to be there, please, please, please come. They're going to be two extraordinary nights. On the bill, we have Rachel Paris and Grace Petrie bringing to life a Victoria Wood song. We have Himesh Patel, who many of you will know from EastEnders and the upcoming Danny Boyle Richard Curtis film, where he is playing the lead, bringing back some goodness gracious me. We have Juliet Stevenson bringing back to life some Monty Python in an extraordinary way. We have Rosie Jones. We have Sindhu V, Keemar Bob, Felicity Ward, Jessica Foster Q, Sarah Pascoe, Aisling B, Nish Kumar, Ali, Phil Jupitus, Alison Spittle, Tiff Stevenson. Shepi Sandy Camilla Cleese, Paul Sinha, Hot Brown Honey. If you haven't seen Hot Brown Honey, you're going to die. Rose Matafeo, Steve Ali, who you know from Grown Up Land, who's going to do an amazing storytelling piece about him coming to music. Jen Brister, Doris and Aloysius from the Say It Loud Club, Athena Koblenu, Ruby Wax, and David O'Doherty. Just don't miss this show. It's just going to be absolutely incredible. If there's any way you can get there, it is going to bring back old British comedy classics. It's going to have bang up to date, incredible stand up comedy. I'm going to be hosting the show. Uh, It's going to be a celebration of amnesty and human rights. You're going to hear stuff about that. And it's going to be the biggest guilty feminist celebration we've ever, ever had. So please get your tickets now. Go to Ed Fringe or Google Secret Policeman's Podcast live Edinburgh Playhouse and you will be able to get tickets for one or both those nights. The bill's going to be mixed up. Some stuff's going to be played out on both nights. Some stuff's going to be just on one night. So just please come along to one or both of those shows. You're going to have the night of your life. This week, I went to see a play at Shakespeare's Globe in London called Amelia. Amelia with an E. It's a new play by Morgan Lloyd Malcolm an amazing playwright. And it was directed by Nicole Charles. It's an all-female cast. And Amelia Lania, who was the first female professional published poet in England, is played by three amazing women of colour, Leah Harvey, Claire Perkins and Vinette Robinson. This play was the most extraordinary play I have seen in so long. Now, I'm a little obsessed with Amelia Lagna or Bassano, as many of you may know, because you'll have heard me talking about her on the podcast before. I've also written about her in my book. She was an extraordinary, extraordinary woman. She was an it girl. She was a she was a guilty feminist. She was really was a proto-feminist. And this play has absolutely more than done her justice. Please, please, please go. There are limited performances. We're all pushing for it to have a longer run or to get transferred, but we don't know that's going to happen. So just go right now and vote with your feet. This play has the heart of the most magnificent Shakespeare, the comedy of Blackadder. And I've got to tell you, they are taking us to feminist church. I cried six times. I laughed hysterically throughout. I really, really, really urge you to go and see it. It finishes on the 1st of September. It's not on every night. So go to shakespearesglobe.com now and get yourself some tickets. If you possibly can, you really won't regret it. I'm very honoured to say that I have been nominated for the Hospital Club 100 Awards. I'm on the short list. And if you'd like to vote, go to thehospitalclub.com forward slash H100 awards and if you click on publishing and writing that's the category i'm in and you're very welcome to vote now thank you very much and thank you very much to the hospital club 100. are you somebody who's ever thought about doing stand-up comedy Well, this week I am doing a gig for Bumble and Bumble, you may know, has had amazing prizes for women's writing before. And now they're taking that to another level and platforming women in stand up on the 23rd of August. That's this week at the Edinburgh Festival. I'm going to be doing an event for Bumble. And if you submit a tape of yourself doing stand up, you might win an opportunity to come and be on stage with me and some other amazing comedians that you've heard on The Guilty Feminist before. If you're interested at all, go to at Bumble on Twitter or Bumble underscore UK on Instagram and find out more details. Hopefully, I'll see you on stage. I have written a book called The Guilty Feminist, which is all my ideas about feminism and guilty feminism. And I've been able to unpack a lot more of what I think uh, in written form, as well as recreate a few old favourites that people have asked for. If you'd like to pre-order the book, uh, if you would like to come to an event, I think there are only a few tickets left in a couple of locations now. Um, Or if you would like uh, to enter the prize draw for... Guilty Feminist podcast tickets, t-shirts and badges and other paraphernalia. Go to guiltyfeminist.com, scroll down till you see book and you can click for any or all of those things. If you pre-order the book now, you go into a prize draw for tickets and other fun stuff. Uh, So get doing that. In the meantime, hope to see you at Secret Policeman Live in Edinburgh on the 24th and 25th. I will now let you get back onto the podcast and always remember, go to helprefugees.org to see what help they need this week. There are men, women and children in Calais and Greece who are relying on us to reach out, be compassionate, be kind and realise that they are cold, they're hungry and they really, really, really need your help as one day we may need somebody else's help. So please check in to helprefugees.org to see what they need. And now back to the podcast. Our guests today are a writer from Ireland, an actor-comedian from Nottingham, and an imam from Denmark. Please welcome Karen Cogan, Emily Lloyd Saini, and Sharon Khan Khan. Hello, 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 hello. Come and sit, come and sit.
5: Hello, I'm Karen Cogan. I'm a writer-performer.
4: Hello, I'm Emily Lloyd taney I'm an actor, comedian, writer, and improviser. Bitches. (laughs) Nice to meet you. Assalamu
6: alaikum. Good evening. My name is Shireen. I'm the mother of four small children. I'm a sociologist of religion and philosophy, psychotherapist, and I'm also an imam. Amazing. Well done, everybody.
0: Um, so we're talking about two worlds. Just talk us through which two worlds you kind of represent as a feminist, as a woman and as a human being. Karen?
5: Well, I'm an Irish person living in England, which is challenging. My sister calls me a black and tan regularly if I ever drop a T or... <laughs> two Irish people just like, whoa. Um, What's a black and tan? Oh, I shouldn't have brought this up. Uh, I I too Too late.
4: I had a dog that was black and tan. Is it something to do with it's
5: uh, it, English soldiers in the Civil War? Is Ignore. I did not Irish say. Anything. Yeah. So if you sound a bit English, they call you black and so, tan. So yeah. So if I go like ah, it's all right, and I drop a T, she's like, oh, the black
3: and tan is over from England.
0: Wow. Well, so the, she basically calls you an English Civil War soldier. Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah. Wow. That's full on. <laughs> and, and but, but that's what sisters are
0: for. That's true. Yeah, That's true. It keeps and, me grounded. And you've written a play?
5: Yeah, I've at, written a play called Drip Feed, and it's about a queer woman in her 30s. It's set in 1998 in Cork, and it's just about not being able to get over your first love and being a bit of a mess, you know? Getting really stuck in one place and hiding in bins and puking on welcome mats and just being an embarrassment. Mm. And I regularly struggle with even saying the word, it's about a queer woman there, I go, oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word because I'm going out with a man now and when I was with women I felt like I was a little bit too straight to be queer, so I kind of constantly have this conversation with myself.
0: As someone who is bisexual, do you prefer bisexual or pansexual,
5: I prefer queer. I think these queer. days it's taken okay. me a really long time to say that, but I feel like queer is such an inclusive word. It mm. makes me feel more comfortable. So, as a queer woman, but somebody who
0: sleeps Go with on. men and women, am I allowed to say that? Uh, I only sleep
5: with one gentleman at the
0: moment. Yeah, but yeah. It, yeah. Well, a lot of bi- I mean, I, I'm not I'm not suggesting the numbers, uh, but the. I've heard bisexual women talk about this before and say, Mm. if I'm now with a man and I'm with a man for the rest of my life, that doesn't make me less bisexual. Absolutely, yeah. And so that can be a struggle feeling like I'm playing for this team at the moment, but it's still the queer
5: team. Totally. And you have to come out all the time as like straight or gay or like I recently had to say to a family member, do you know, if me and my partner break up, then I might be with a woman. You know, it's a possibility. And then the response was just like, oh, so are you having problems? Like, I don't understand why you're saying this to me because just pick one, you know? And when I broke up with my last ex-girlfriend, a lot of my lesbian friends said really crappy things about giving in or, you know, going to the dark side. And I I mean... Black and tan. Black and tan.
4: (laughs) Uh, And Emily, which two worlds do you feel you represent? I'm mixed race, so I'm half Indian and the rest is some kind of mix of lots of UK things, and um, Welsh, and (laughs) there's a bit Portuguese in there, you know, just so I can blame my hips on something, Um, but I was uh, a mixed race, so I've been in between those two worlds for a long time, and I was the only Asian one in my friendship group growing up and being mixed I used to forget I was brown because they didn't seem to see that and it was only when we were around other people that I'd be the brown one and only in my 20s I realized I was brown and quite happy with that so now it's kind of fitting into those because now working as an actor and a comedian actually sometimes I feel like I'm not quite Asian enough and I'm not quite British enough to fit into any of the categories that Society wants me to be in. Mm. I say society, casting
0: agents. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they want a binary, pick a team, be a thing. Yeah, I understand that. I totally understand that. And Shireen, you've written an incredible book called Women of the Future of Islam. Could you tell us a little bit about these worlds, women in Islam?
6: Yes, I will tell you a story. When I prepared myself for the first Friday prayer, it was in August 2016. I was putting on my scarf and my galabia and my four children were standing watching me and they knew that something was at stake, something historical was going to happen this day. And the youngest, Halima, she had her friend visiting the house and her friend whispered in her ears, Halima, what is an imam? Because she heard the word over and over again. And my young daughter five at that time, she looked at her with these proud Tigress eyes, and she answered, An imam is a woman who's doing great things. Mm. So it is possible to change a narrative Mm -hmm. or a concept that has been normalized um, and male dominated for centuries within a five year old's mind. Mm. So, what we try to do in the Maya Mosque, um, we try to challenge uh, the patriarchal structures. The patriarchal practices within our Muslim societies and we do that very concretely by giving the sermon, leading the prayer, performing interfaith marriages between Muslim women and non-Muslims. This is actually impossible today for young people to marry outside Islam because this patriarchal practices has been normalized. So we also give women the right to divorce. It's also something which is impossible today Muslim women are denied the basic right to divorce. So these are some of the things that we do. Wow. And you also were raised in a mixed-raced family. Yes. I have a Syrian father. He's a political refugee. And my mother, she's an immigrant from Finland. They met in Denmark. And my father actually asked to marry her the first time he saw her. And uh, she said, no, thank you, of course. (laughs) But um, they married a week later. What? That, yes, a week later. It's my father's narrative uh, that I'm repeating now. But
0: well, does your mother tell a different story, two years dating? Yes. Or, yes. Yeah.
6: <laughs> when my mother tells the story, it's a month later. So, <laughs> but they're still married today. And my father, he's a feminist, mostly he's a feminist. He used to quote uh, Ibn Arabi. He's um, one of the big reformators within the Islamic tradition, He lived from 1165 until 1240. And he used to say, the perfect man is a woman. So I was raised with a Syrian father who said, the perfect man is a woman. Mm -hmm. I was raised with a father who couldn't eat before all the women in the family were eating. And he's like, he has this um, kind of sensitivity He wants to serve the women in the family.
0: See, I would have married him after a week as well, (laughs) by the sound of
6: it. Is he very handsome? Because every Syrian man I meet is so handsome. He's very handsome. But when I became the first female imam in Denmark, I I didn't tell my father. I didn't tell my husband at that time or my father because I knew they would be upset. So um, he got a message over the mobile phone from some family in Syria Mm -hmm. and they wrote that Shirin has become a female imam. We saw it in the Arab news and he called me and he said, you have to denounce the title imama. Ah. You can call yourself anything else. Call yourself a scholar, a murshidat, a prayer leader, anything, but do not take on the title imama, because if you want to call yourself the imam, you have to be able to recite the Quran by heart and you have to wear the scarf And I knew that that was not the opinion of him, but it's the opinion of society.
3: He didn't talk to me for a month, but now he's very proud. (laughs) Oh, yeah, it takes a while. I mean, for my mother to meet the Danish priest who was a lady, that was exciting. I worry, Shireen, that if she meets you, she will die of a heart attack. (laughs) You will pardon me if I never introduce you to my mother because I love her a lot. But that's a story I'm going to tell her slowly. Uh, she's going to love that one. I will need to be there for the meeting of Shireen and no, no, your No, no, they mom. can't meet because... As, because and, and I feel they will. No, but on, on top I'm of gonna it... I'm going to organize it. But on yeah. top of it, on top of the fact that she is a woman and an imam, I mean, my mother is much more familiar with Islam than she was with Christianity because, you know, India is... We've got a huge Muslim population, but... On top of that, Shereen has something to do with Denmark. I mean, oh my God. Oh yeah, that's true. My mother's head is going to explode. She, she, will, she will flip She out. will flip out and she'll be like, oh, this was in the karma and this and that and you is, a, is Danish and in your last life you were Danish, I was Danish, this whole thing is going to happen. <laughs> so, but amazing.
0: Emily, you've said when you go to the Punjab where you Mm -hmm. have family, that gender roles are different there. Is there anything in Shireen's story that you kind of feel you echo with those
4: experiences? Not exactly, but kind of on a parallel. But like I say, I've always been kind of the other one in that one, so I'm the white one in the family. And when my brothers have been and when my cousins have been, they come back and they have this amazing experience connecting to the family. And for my 30th, it wasn't my birthday, but my 30th year of life, I... (laughs) when I was 30 I (laughs) went to the Punjab for the first time and my boyfriend and I were going to go travelling around India and then I was going to go up and visit my family and he said can I come and I said no no they're not ready for you we don't do that but it was weird and he didn't understand I was like I've been with you three years and you know things are going well I was like no and actually good call thank you babe (laughs) (laughs) thank you So we went to Thailand, he actually couldn't get a visa for India, separate story, don't have time, Um, have me back, and uh, so we went to Thailand, had this amazing time travelling around, and then I went to meet my family in Kerala, and we went up to Amritsar, but the minute I got to Kerala, I was under the protection of my uncle, and I was an Indian girl, and I couldn't just go and get a moped, I wouldn't want to in Kerala. Anymore is terrifying, Uh, but I couldn't just go to the shop or just go out. And amazingly, when I got to Kerala, just two part story, but this is just the most fantastic thing that's happened to me and awful. When I got to Kerala, I knew that I would have to be a bit more conservative with my clothing than I'd been in Thailand, and I bought big baggy trousers and stuff. But I went to the beach, we were on the beach, and everyone was in kind of shorts and tops. And I thought, well, you know, I can do this and go in the sea and there were lots of Indian lads playing in the sea and around and we were the only girls but they seemed to be quite respectful and I got in the sea and some kind of riptide got me and uh, rolled me around and crashed me to the floor and I thought, oh, I'm going to die here and uh, I didn't and I washed up on the shore absolutely naked. Oh, wow. (laughs) My uncle was like...
0: (laughs) I'm glad Sindhu's mother wasn't there. Yeah, all dead, right?
4: But yes, I got up to Amritsar, and what was... My family lived two hours in a tiny little place called Hoshiarpur. Put my clothes back on, Sindhu.
3: <laughs> but I can just picture that scene. I mean, it, and it is Kerala, which is very, very progressive. But yeah. Amritsa, so I'm sorry, I'm going to put this, the picture out of my head.
4: Yeah, so we went to Hoshiarpur, and I realized I was going to have a very different experience to my brothers. They kind of sent pictures of them on mopeds going across all the fields and out with kind of friends that they'd met. And I don't speak any Punjabi, so I knew it was going to be a lot of nodding and smiling Mm. anyway. But I made a connection with my family, even though I couldn't speak their language. And that was so important to me. And my grandma had asked my cousin, she said, do you want peas with your dinner in Punjabi? And they said, Emily, do you want peas with your dinner? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she says, OK, go and get them from the field before the snakes come out. I'm good for peas thanks and do you want milk with your cereal and if you say yeah I want milk with my cereal they're like go and milk the buffalo because we need to boil it and then put it in the fridge and I'm like this is living Yes. and I embraced it and I absolutely loved it and I realised five days later that I had been cooking and cleaning for the men in the house the whole time I was there and suddenly went I want to go home because I couldn't go just to the shop. There was just a sweet stall near the Goodwall opposite that we were allowed to go to. I didn't want sweets, but just to be able to do something for myself, I would take myself there and buy sweets. And that really struck me. I was like, oh, I love being mm-hmm. part of this family. And but you're falling into those gender roles that, yeah, yeah because that's, that's the their life.
0: Do you find that in your play, Karen, are you talking about... Because it's set in the 80s or the 90s? 90s, 90s Set in the 90s. Is that your experience? Do you remember being there in the
5: 90s? Uh, vaguely, yeah. So I was going to... There's a nightclub in the play called Sir Henry's in Cork, which was an incredible nightclub. And I was going there illegally as like a 15, 16-year-old with my friends. But the woman in the play is 34. So it's kind of like, what if... I just got stuck in that moment in time. And she behaves really badly. She behaves a little bit worse than I behaved when I was 16, 17 and was obsessed with this woman. But she's 34. So come see
0: it. (laughs) And what's the play called?
5: It's called Drip Feed. It's being produced by Soho Theatre and Fishamble. And Um. it will be in Edinburgh for the whole fringe um, at Assembly George Square in the bubble every day.
0: Another amazing
5: thing to be see in Edinburgh. You've got, if you're not planning to go to Edinburgh, you obviously are now because mm. there's so many amazing things to see. It transfers down to London as well from September 24th for a month at the Soho. Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, we really look forward to seeing it. Thank you.
0: And can you tell us a little bit more about your book, Shereen? Because it seems like such an important book and like something we just need to be hearing more about now. Are you spending a lot of time overturning our ideas about Islam or are you spending more time trying to work with people in the Islamic community to sort of hear your message about empowerment for women?
6: I would say both. We want to challenge the patriarchal practices. So you could say that it presents a rereading of the Quran with a focus on gender equality. Let me give you a concrete example there is a sentence in the Qur'an where it says, al-nisa," and it's being translated with the man is above the woman. The word is translated with above. But the word has like many different meanings in Arabic. So it could also be translated with that the man should encourage the woman in what she wants in life. So I, I like that so, translation. Yes, I, I, I'm going with that one. I <laughs> me prefer too. That one. Actually, the Quran contains 114 chapters, more than 6,000 verses. And out of these more than 6,000 verses, only six verses could be interpreted as discriminatory against women. But they could also be reread differently. And this is what I try to promote a new rereading of the Quran with a focus on gender equality. I also tried to promote Sufism, which is the spiritual path within Islam. And let me just quote Rabia al-Adawiyya. She is a Sufi saint. She laid the fundament for the spiritual path within classical Islamic theology. And she's my inspirational source. She died in 801, and she inspired a lot of men, Muslim scholars. She said, I carry a lamp with fire in one hand. And in the other hand, I carry a bottle with water. With these two things, I shall set fire to heaven and turn off hellfire so that the travelers towards God can see the true light. She takes the ultimate pair of opposition, heaven and hell, and deconstructs it. So I think we can learn something from this. And this is actually what I try to do. I try to deconstruct all the manipulated dichotomies in this world, the dichotomy between East and West Islam and Christianity, Islam and Judaism, Islam and secularism. And I try to find a way to reconcile these manipulated dichotomies. I also try to challenge the growing Islamophobia in the world because we have a growing anti-Islamic rhetoric and propaganda. Sometimes we think it's impossible to change a structure. I thought at some point that how can I change this structure We only have female imams in China since the 1820s, in US and Canada and in Germany, in South Africa. But in Scandinavia, it's a story which is left untold. But it is possible to change the structure. And when you change the structure, you change the power balance. And sometimes you just have to do it. So the book is really about giving hope, as you spoke about, giving hope and inspiring a new generation of Muslims and non-Muslims in order to take action. And what do you
0: want non-Muslims who read the book to take away from it, ultimately?
6: It's a story about the making of the Maryam Mosque. The and is a sto- mosque for women? Yes. Is it specifically for women? No. I'm, I'm med- no. Welcome. no, it's an all-inclusive mosque, only on Friday. We have a Friday prayer exclusively for women. But the mosque is all-inclusive. And I want to give an insight in Islamic Muslim reform, in today's world. I want to challenge the growing Islamophobia. So what you take with you is a rereading of the Quran, an insight into the spiritual path in Islam and into the Islamic feminism
0: in Europe. And what do you want Muslim readers to take away from it?
6: I want to inspire a new generation of Muslims like I have been inspired. I was inspired by Sufi literature, but I was also inspired by Amina Wadud. She's one of the great feminist within the islamic tradition and lots of other women so we would like to be that inspiration wonderful and we can buy your book in the foyer
0: yes and you will sign it for
6: us of course and will you write
0: something beautiful and poetical and spiritual in it like you've just definitely (laughs) definitely will you sign one for me and say something like deborah i feel you're like a torchbearer or something like that just like (laughs) just obviously put it in your own words of, but I of, want something I want to take from your amazing sort of spiritual leadership. If, I, do if, you not if, feel calmer in Shireen's presence? <laughs> do you feel like she should be put in charge of world peace? Because I feel like very much... Yes. Yeah, see, look, you started a
6: cult accidentally. Actually, you, yes. Yes. you really inspired me in your talk earlier this day when you said that if you're too comfortable, you cannot create that change. Mm. And I really agree on that because the childhood... Your upbringing, the family, this is where everything starts. And I was lucky, because it's really a lottery. It's a matter of luck, which family you're born into. And I was lucky to be born in a family with a feminist father, who gave me all the freedom in the world, my mother as well. He only told me that you cannot marry a Pakistani man. Anyone else, sorry. Of course, I fell in love with a Pakistani. Oh, yes.
3: We're not telling my mom that either, please. (laughs)
0: If you're not here tonight, where can you get the book?
6: Uh, you can buy the book on Amazon, for Let's, sure. Or somewhere else where they pay the tax. Uh, yeah, and you can buy it I, I, any in any book shop? bookshop. And yes. it's called? Women are the Future of Islam. By Shireen. Uh-huh.
0: Um, Sindhu V, what would you like to plug? Have you got anything we should be coming to see?
3: Oh, yes. I know the cool thing now is to plug other people's shows, but I'm not that cool, so... <laughs> Uh, no, I'm plugging my intro. Okay. So uh, I'm doing my first hour in Edinburgh. So this year I'd like to plug that. Thank wow. you so much. It's called Sandhog. And it's at 4.30 at the Pleasance every single day, first to the 26th. Please, some of you come. Yes. <laughs> the contender for newcomer this year is the women that are up there. I mean, they're just oh, incredible. I, and there's And actually, I, now that I've told you that, there's so many of us, there's uh, Rosie Jones, there's Mickey Overman, there's Catherine Bart, there's lots of listen, people.
0: Listen, go on the Guilty Feminist website and we've put a list of everyone who's ever guested on this show, but there's also other amazing people as well. Yes. Emily Lloyd-Saney, <coughs> could you please tell us? Why was what my th- name
4: not in there with you? Because you're about to see it.
0: Well, no, yeah. you know, you could still
4: plug me. Jeez, yeah, I'm hashtag your feminism, you're right there, come yeah, on, tell see- us. Hi, uh, I'm doing a sketch show with my comedy partner, we're a double act called Egg, it's our debut hour and it is called Richard Pictures, which is a dick pic. Hey! And... Spoiler alert. And that is on 1st to the 26th in Pleasant's Courtyard 1st to the 26th in the Pleasant's Courtyard. We will come and see that Emily Lloyd-Saney
5: and Karen Cogan. Tell us again when she'll play on. Yes, it's called Drip Feed. It's going to be on for the whole of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, Assembly, George Square, The Bubble, 2.30 every day, and then the Soho Theatre from September 24th for a month.
0: If you love the 90s, if you love Ireland, if you love queer everything, this play is for you. If you love any combination of those, you definitely go and see it. Listening to the Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White guest cars will be and our very special guests, Karen Gogan, Emily Lloyd Saney, and Shereen The recording engineer was pretty sharp. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Johnson Litsky for the spontaneity shop. Thanks to Zoe, Jacob, Sally, and everyone at Kings Place, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit Guilteam Thank you very much. That's our show. I've been Deborah Francis White. Good night! Yeah. As I feared, I put the stress in the wrong place on your name. Like a horse coming to a jump, when I have a name, I know it was meant to be one way. I go, is it this way? Is it this way? So I'm going to say it again. And Shireen, is it Khan Khan? Am I saying that right? It's uh,
6: Shireen Khan Khan. Oh, damn. Khan. <laughs> say it again. Shireen Khan Khan. K-H, it gives the mm-hmm. sound of kha it's, it's not going to happen.
3: What? It, can it means I... uh, the king. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, Sh- what's the... Should I try it? Yeah, yeah. Shireen Khan Khan.
6: Yeah, that's
3: right.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Shireen Han Khan. Khan. <laughs> Boom. You'll, you'll excuse me if I never say your name again. Because um, so I've nailed it.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more
2: instant glam visit impressbeauty.com slash press on and use code press on 25 at checkout for 25 percent off impress manicure and press on falsies
1: mom deserves better than a drugstore card this mother's day surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. add your favorite photos a heartfelt message and we'll even mail it for you the same day all for just five dollars